Hello, everyone. This is Sean Dubervac with Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Radical Research. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Techspansive. We thought this week we would jump into all things gaming. The uh, big game convention E3 happened this week, and we saw some announcements coming out of Microsoft and others. Uh, Microsoft talked about their Scarlet project, which is uh, scheduled for release in holiday 2020. We've got some other news from Microsoft with respect to xCloud. Of course, Google is active in the cloud gaming environment with their Stadia, and Apple is getting set to roll out Apple Arcade. So we thought it would be a good time to talk about all things gaming and where we're at. Probably the closest thing we've seen to the kickoff of the next generation of console games. We've had uh, the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One uh, out in the market for quite some time now. They've been revised a little bit. The hardware has been revised, as, uh, as, as is often the case. And it's clear that, that both Microsoft and Sony uh, are dropping more details about what their next generation console will be like. But for Microsoft, uh, this was by far the most detail that, that we've seen. Uh, some of the details that they mentioned were that uh, it would support uh, 8K resolution. Uh, it's going to support real-time ray tracing, which really does create uh, phenomenally realistic graphics. One thing that I'm really eager to see uh, in terms of footage from the new games is how, uh, how the console renders faces, uh, because I think that's one of the weaknesses of, of this generation. But um, definitely some, some room for, for improvement there. It's going to be four times as powerful as uh, the Xbox One X, which is their higher-end Xbox today. So, so it's clear that, that this thing is, is going to be a, a beast, uh, and it's using a, you know, some custom uh, AMD silicon, as has become the uh, kind of the, the standard way to go in the game console business. But it also strikes me that this generation of console games is going to be very different uh, than the last one was because, or in part because, uh, of the dominance of, of mobile uh, that has uh, taken so much uh, share of, of the revenue in, uh, in, in games. Now, we could certainly argue that uh, there's, there's a different type of user uh, playing playing a lot of these games or who are attracted to console games versus mobile games. But what's also clear is that uh, companies like Microsoft and Google are looking to bridge that gap, to blur that distinction uh, through the use of streaming game services to provide essentially unlimited, un unlimited uh, quality uh, graphics uh, and and frame rate uh, over a broadband or or even uh, perhaps wireless uh, connection. So, so we we had the Google Stadia announcement a little bit uh, ago, and we had Microsoft talking about X Cloud a bit at E3, and uh, this is really the frontier where where these two approaches are are going to start to meet it's clear that we're in the twilight years of the current 
console systems. And historically, the console generations lasted about five years. More recently, that's been extended. So it was 2013 where we saw both PS4 and the Xbox One release. So we'll be going on seven years by the time Project Scarlet is released in 2020. And and while Sony wasn't at E3, they have been slowly releasing the attributes and specs on the PS5, which will launch sometime in 2020 as well. And just like Project Scarlet from Microsoft, it will include support for 8K graphics. It will include ray tracing, which, as you noted, is a a phenomenal addition to the gaming environment and and really uh, helps render light and the effect that light has in those digital environments. And then at the same time, you have most of these companies whether it's Google getting into this space or Microsoft and Sony both trying to continue to maintain leadership in the space, building out their cloud infrastructure so that they can be prepared for for that frontier of gaming. And that also will bring with it an extension of their gaming environment beyond the traditional households that have had the consoles will be allowed to push them into other uh, on other devices. So with Microsoft and what they showed at E3 around xCloud, they were primarily focused on showing gaming on Android devices. And they were showing how you could play it, whether you were on Wi-Fi, whether you were on 4G, uh, obviously uh, 5G in years to come. They positioned it as the Netflix of gaming. So mm-hmm. it's, it's clear that um, they're trying to get consumers to to think that way and socialize that idea. It also made made me wonder why Netflix hasn't gotten into this space. It would seem to be a very natural place for Netflix to go and they could easily add a gaming channel. And so it could be interesting to see if Netflix eventually enters into the gaming space in order to build out their their business as well and to extend their business into other markets. So we're at this really interesting inflection point where we're at the end of the current generation of consoles. We're seeing the new launch of those consoles coming in the next 18 months. And we're also building out this entirely new business model for all of these companies. For Google, it's a new model. Apple with Apple Arcade is is introducing a new model as well. And then both Sony and, and Microsoft, as they build out support for cloud-based gaming, are looking to extend onto other devices and and hopefully to new consumers. Yeah, it's really interesting to see how the um, how the battle lines are are being drawn. So, uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago, maybe maybe a few months ago, we saw Microsoft and Sony have a joint uh, announcement, which is uh, uh, kind of crazy in in the context of, of video games. You know, they. Do yes. lots of other stuff together, but you know they've been very fierce uh, video game competitors for a long time, and and essentially it uh, I, I, a lot of it came down to Microsoft's uh, Azure, and uh, uh, which is one of the key cloud uh, players, and Sony uh, is uh, is looking to host its uh, probably next generation PlayStation streaming service. Uh, likely on Azure, you know, there there are only so many companies that have this kind of cloud build out. Uh, th- this was something that that Google 
uh, brought up uh, extensively during its uh, Stadia presentation. There, there aren't that many companies that have uh, so extensive a global build out of, of networking infrastructure and edge uh, computing capability to make this work uh, because companies have been trying this for at least 10 years. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the bandwidth, the latency just was never good enough. But, but it seems like we're, we're almost here. Uh, and it seems to me that at least Microsoft and Sony, they kind of want to go at the same pace, right? They're, they're definitely not ready, uh, obviously not ready to give up on hardware just yet. But as Microsoft has uh, released more details of its streaming service, it creates a little bit of a uh, competitive dynamic. I mean, on one hand, you're saying you're going to need Project Scarlet to get uh, the ultimate uh, home console experience as part of uh, Microsoft's message. And with the xCloud, they're saying, oh, you know what? The hardware is is kind of irrelevant and we're going to be able to render these games uh, at, at really high quality with you know so many settings turned on and you're going to be able to play it on a relatively inexpensive uh, Android phone that you know is probably already in your pocket. So what I attribute it to is is just um, the streaming stuff is kind of the direction that the industry is going, but uh, we're not there yet, you know, and there's there's still going to be plenty of people who you know don't want to take a chance on that experience, want the variety of of downloads or disc-based games or however it's going to work, uh, and uh, you know don't don't and and so for for the, for those kinds of gamers, the console is is probably uh, going to be the better choice. You know, th- there had been a, a lot of speculation that uh, the last round of consoles was going to be it. You know that that there really wasn't any place to go, and clearly there's going to be a next generation, but. But then it kind of begs the question, well, will this be the last generation uh, because the networks are getting fast enough and responsive enough where rendering the games in the cloud uh, makes just so much more sense? Well, and it, I think it's a very differentiated gaming experience. So if you look at the way that Microsoft is positioning xCloud, they talk about it providing consumer choice. So it's allowing you to choose whether you want to play a game on a console or or a game elsewhere on a mobile device, then you can do that. And so they're also giving consumers the ability, similar to, to Google Stadia, to move across devices. And I think that is a, a natural way that at least uh, younger audiences are gaming. I see it with my kids where they might be gaming together on an Xbox, but then they break off and they end up gaming on on mobile devices. So being able to to easily move towards one of those devices is uh, is interesting. And as you had pointed out, Ross, Apple announced uh, a week or two ago during WWDC that they would allow uh, Xbox and PS remote controls to be used on their uh, on their devices. So it really allows. Uh, individuals who might be in a room gaming on a console than to just grab a controller and and grab a screen and move. And so it's a a differentiated experience 
where you're looking at you know 1080p resolution at 60 frames per second on a mobile device and on your console with presumably ps5 and also with uh, project scarlet you're looking at 8k resolution at 120 frames per per second mm. and um and then also you know as as we both noted bringing in ray tracing into the systems looking at at variable refresh rates and other things right. um solid state drives to allow uh, things to to boot up quickly and to to jump into the gaming very quickly so um i think it's a at least initially it's a differentiated experience it's clear this is the direction not only gaming is going but everything is going sure. in, in, and moving towards the right. cloud in, in some ways you know gaming is the laggard you know because sure. it's been the most demanding so that's right i mean gaming yeah. as a as a service will definitely become more developed over the, the next 10 years and uh you know i think what you'll see is you've got a pretty steady state for game consoles. About 50% of households have game consoles. Most people know what a game console is. And, you know, those who have one plan to replace it. Those who don't have one never intend to own one. And so it's a pretty steady state. And so moving gaming towards the cloud is a way of, I think, extending their, their marketplace. And it's why you see everybody moving in that direction. Uh, I do think you raise a really good question, though, because if we get new console launches in 2020 and presuming we stay close to this now seven year cycle, we're out to 2027, 2028 by the time we're looking at a new game console. And what will the market look like uh, 10 years from now? Right. Uh, presumably by that time, we would have widespread 5G uh, or, you know, at least a, a good portion of certainly the US market would uh, would have it right. um, presumably Korean market to uh, Japanese market so so right there are you know some of the bigger markets for uh, for Western uh, video games um, Europe I think has been lagging a bit but but certainly at least those uh, economies have been um, uh, you know pretty pretty aggressive on on 5g I think it's worth talking business models a little bit Um so Project X Cloud, we really don't know yet how this thing is going to be packaged. Presumably a subscription service, uh, how it will interface with Game Pass, which is kind of Microsoft's subscription game download service. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how those interplay. Uh, Stadia is available in kind of two flavors, uh, kind of free with the game. So, so you buy the game, and you just stadia is, is kind of the way you access the game online you know instead of instead of a disc or a download but they're also going to introduce a uh, a subscription service uh that provides access to a growing library of of games uh that that use the service and so uh it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out and now i'm going to bring in uh, apple arcade a little bit which is not a streaming service and it's not a <laughs> packaging up of games that uh, already existed for the platform like uh, game pass uh, it is something different it is a set of exclusive games for ios that will not be available anywhere else and you'll pay a subscription i i'm not sure if they announced but i'm going to if not, I'm going to assume it's going to be ten bucks a month. 
uh, and, or you know, certainly in that neighborhood. And you have access to these games. And and you know, Apple is positioning it as a vehicle to allow games that would otherwise never be made to have some kind of exposure and revenue stream and really tap into the creativity of the iOS developer. Because of course, there are a gazillion games for iOS, but uh, monetizing them is tricky. And uh, very often, and I'm pretty sure I've railed on this before, the monetization of the game comes at the expense of the gameplay. If it's something like in-app purchasing or advertising. So what Apple has created in pretty much a, a typical move for them is a, you know, a clean, well-lit, uh, so to speak, environment where games can just purely be games and the subscription model takes care of, of the, the revenue, uh, at least in theory. But I think it's a riskier bet. I mean, you know, you've got a great audience in the iOS uh, customer base, but I've heard uh, at least one description of this as a... Uh, as a home for like art house games. Uh, so, so we'll have to see how, how strong the appeal is. I do think within a younger audience, at least you do see a tremendous amount of g- gameplay still happening in that iOS space. You have just logistically on birthdays and other holidays, you have gift cards flowing in, you know, around Xbox and iTunes gift cards, which Presumably, we'll get a different name at this point. Right. Uh, you, you get Apple, you know, gift cards, and so those will get redeemed for in the past, perhaps for games. Now they could get redeemed towards a subscription. So I could see that part of the business model actually working out okay. Apple is allocating a reported five hundred million towards funding for development of the game. So presumably they'll have some winners in there that will garner some attention. Apple always rises to the challenge of bringing a new business to market and seems to create these businesses that look like they've been around forever. If you walk the streets today in any major city, you see AirPods everywhere as if they've always been there. And that market has really blossomed just over the last two years. So they seem to be doing well. Google, I saw recently reported that they were sending out development kits to 100 plus game studios. So they're going to try to really ramp up the development there. And I think those will be the the two that will really have to invest in development. Mm, right. Sony and, and Microsoft understand this already. They already have exclusive titles. From what I've seen around xCloud, they mentioned that if you're an Xbox customer already and you have a console, you'll be able to stream from that and out of your home, you'll you'll be able to use your mobile phone for free. So presumably for, for the games you bought, for the yeah, titles you bought. Yeah. Yeah. So presumably that ties into the existing uh, model. And I know at least in my household, most of the gameplay that's taking place on our Xbox is it's not disc based at all. I mean, it's all being streamed or it's been or it's been downloaded and so i think that will naturally flow in there so they they understand the model around titles and the type of gameplay that's being done there i think the challenge will be with with especially with google who isn't familiar with this market how they built that out certainly lots of uh interesting opportunities as discs kind of fade into the sunset and it will be interesting to see how how hardware holds on 
Uh, presumably, these will not be inexpensive consoles. We've got no announcements around pricing uh, yet or even specific release dates. So uh, right now they're touting the power of these machines and presumably they will come with uh, with powerful price tags as well. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing they'll be kind of consistent with where uh, the last generation came in kind of at that, you know, 399 uh, sweet spot. So there, there's kind of this under the radar uh, retro thing happening where the guys... Uh, are, are various parties are trying to revive the Atari and Intellivision brands from from the eighties? Uh, I've been following the Intellivision saga uh, because that was kind of my game uh, growing up, and uh, I think these guys are taking an interesting approach. Um, it's all going to be uh, downloads, um, looking at like three to seven dollars per title. The console is going to be 150 to 180 bucks. Uh, wireless controllers that charge on top of the console using chi uh, charging. Uh, all the games are rated E for everyone. They're all exclusive. They're uh, no downloadable content or in-app purchase. So, so what they're really going for with all this is is really oh, and all 2D. Uh, that's also kind of interesting. No, no 3D titles. Although they are developing a new chip. Uh, optimized for 2D gaming. So it's, it's not that they're just relying on kind of, you know, old junk. Um, it, it's pretty fascinating. Uh, it's, a, it's a grand experiment, uh, and, and we'll see where it goes. But I, I do like the, the out-of-the-box thinking. And at E3, they were showing off 22 titles, so they say, uh, and um, uh, showed off, you know, that the thing is going to come in five different <laughs> colors, uh, which which I think is super ambitious, but uh, but the console is called the Amico, uh, and uh, they they do seem to have a uh, a good lineup of industry veterans uh, behind it. So I I think that's going to be a fun one to watch, and that's it that's will, also due to ship next fall. It will be a fun one to watch, and it will to me be a, a flash. Right, it, these tend to come out. They do very well for a very short period of time, and then they fade to the background. <laughs> I, I know that my kids have no interest in playing the games that I grew up on. So when right. I when I get them, uh, you know, when we dust off our old Atari and we get it hooked up to a television and we pull it out and play it, they are instantly bored to death by... <laughs> Uh, you know, by any of the games move, that move I the square, yeah, that's that's right. You know, <laughs> even some of the the classic games, um, like Jungle Hunt and some of these other ones, you're like, wow, I didn't realize that this was so slow compared to the type of games that they, that they're playing today. So, sure. um, the market for these type of consoles, in my opinion, is very very small. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree that a lot of the flashback consoles have been novelties and they release a new version every month. But but that's not what this is. Uh, I mean, it's a little bit of that, I think. But but all of the games are being recreated, you know, modern graphics, modern gameplay. I completely hear your point and we'll have to see uh, how they resonate with, with the new generation of game players. But I think it's also the kind of thing where you know, a, a family or parents who are 
uh, you know, re relatively conservative and, and don't want their kids exposed to a lot of the stuff we even see in mobile games these days sure. uh, might find something like this attractive, you know, particularly at the price point. So, yeah, I no, I don't disagree with that. I think there are six families out there that will find this very, very attractive. So we'll see. It's just difficult to build a, a sizable market. Well, that wraps it up. For another episode of Techspansive, thanks so much for joining us. Again, I'm Sean Dubervac at Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Radical Research. Tune in next week for another episode of Techspansive. <laughs>